Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. When it comes to navigating romantic relationships, the struggle is real. Romances are just a different beast from the other relationships we have in our lives. For example, you might very well have perfectly healthy relationships with your family and friends and coworkers, but really have a hard time when it comes to your love life. So why is that? Why are relationships so hard? And can we make things a little easier? That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to discuss relationship red flags and green flags, how to avoid moving too fast or too slow, how to know when someone is genuinely interested in you, how to change your dating mindset, as well as how to avoid sabotaging your own chances at love and happiness. I am joined once again by Dr. Morgan Anderson, who is a clinical psychologist, attachment theory expert, author of the new book, Love Magnet, and host of the podcast, Let's Get Vulnerable. This is going to be an amazing conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. We all know that there are a lot of problems with traditional sex education, but one of the biggest is that the topic of women's pleasure is almost completely neglected. As a result, people often have to learn about this all on their own. So to make things easier, there's a great resource I can recommend called Beducated. They have an extensive library of courses you can take at your own pace in the comfort of your own home. They have some fantastic courses on women's pleasure that will teach you what you need to know about the female orgasm, the G-spot, oral pleasure techniques, and so much more. These courses are ideal for women and anyone who loves women. You can try all of their courses today for free, and if you like what you see, you can get 40% off the yearly pass by using my last name, Miller, as the coupon code. Invest in your love life and join Beducated now from just $10 per month. Check the show notes for the link or visit beducated.com and be sure to use my last name to get your discount. If you love the science of sex as much as I do, consider becoming a friend of the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University. The Kinsey Institute is the world's premier research organization on sex and relationships, and you can help them continue the legacy of Dr. Alfred Kinsey, whose pioneering research changed everything we think we know about sex. Visit KinseyInstitute.org to make an impact. Your donations can help support ongoing research projects on critical topics. You can also show your support by following Kinsey Institute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for supporting sex science. So Dr. Morgan, let's talk about attachment and relationships. As a starting point, there's a quote from your book that I'd like to read. You say that women I'm coaching often say to me, I don't understand. All of my friendships and family relationships are great. I feel loved, adored, appreciated, and valued in my friendships. I can set boundaries, I can express my needs, and I can feel very healthy in those relationships. So why on earth are all of my romantic relationships so tumultuous? I bet a lot of listeners can relate to this quote. So what's the answer here? Why can we have so many great and healthy relationships in our lives with friends and family, but struggle so much with romantic relationships? Yes, I think this is really important to talk about because it can be so frustrating. That used to be me of like, why? Why is this happening, right? I have all these great friends and I can't seem to have a great romantic relationship. So yeah, really important to talk about. And the answer is because our romantic connection is our most vulnerable 
And there's this evolutionary viewpoint here of your partner was the person that you depended on for survival, right? Like back in the caveman days of you had to have this person that was reliable and consistent and your partner, and it was rooted in survival. So when we find ourselves in a romantic connection, any of our unresolved fears about relationships or unresolved things from our early experiences with our parents, because we also had to depend on them for survival, right? So all of that unresolved past can find itself reoccurring in a romantic relationship And I think we have to also mention sex here too. Sex is our most vulnerable thing that we do as humans. And when that is part of a relationship, it also brings up any insecurities that you have and any fears that you have. So when you think about it through that perspective, it makes total sense that, you know, relationships are just going to be more challenging to navigate. And maybe you have great friendships, great relationships with your family, great relationships with your coworkers, but You don't have all of the baggage and everything else that comes with a romantic relationship because you don't have to put yourself in the same position of vulnerability. You're probably not having sex with those people, right? It's just a totally different situation. And so the struggle is real, right? Navigating romantic relationships can be quite difficult. So let's talk about how to make starting healthy relationships a little bit easier. So in your book, you discuss a common and I think very relatable issue. You know, if you think about dating as a swimming pool, you have a lot of people who are doing one of two things. You know, some of them are just diving in headfirst and, you know, getting in the water as fast as they can. And then you've got some other people who are sitting on the side and they're afraid to even dip their toe in. So in other words, you got a lot of people who are just moving way too fast when it comes to starting a relationship and other people who just like really aren't even giving things a chance. So how do you find the right middle ground there, you know, when it comes to kind of having that right pacing when starting a relationship? So you're allowing yourself to be somewhat vulnerable, but you're not like all in like from the first moment. Great question. Yes, we talk about relationship pacing. And I was the person in the past where I would just dive right in and by date three, I'm already planning the wedding. And, you know, I think a lot of you can relate to that desire of like, okay, this is the one, right? And we find ourselves in that place. And one of the best mindset shifts that you can have is this idea that you need to let people earn your emotional investment and your vulnerability I like the framework of thinking of yourself as a love scientist and you're simply gathering data and you need to have data that supports your investment. And if you are anxiously attached, that means you need to make sure that you're slowing down a bit and you're gathering the data and you're intentionally saying, yes, I have the data to support an emotional investment and being vulnerable. So you're being intentional. And then if we go on the other side here and look at avoidant attachment, this looks like a willingness to open ourselves to gather the data and open ourselves to that investment and maybe allowing ourselves to actually get in the water and go a little bit deeper, even if our brain is saying, no, don't do that. So that willingness to be more brave right, is going to be helpful to the avoidantly attached person. But really this shift of you are the love scientist, you're gathering the data, 
you're making intentional investments and you're allowing yourself to say, well, of course, this is part of finding my person, right? Like I have to show up in it intentionally, openly with vulnerability and to allow myself to continue to deepen a connection over time because everything that's worthwhile in life takes that time to develop and build. It's not an overnight, immediate thing. Yeah, I think the overtime piece is really crucial there. You know, and if we think about research on self-disclosure and how that helps to build intimacy, you know, self-disclosure is one of those things that works best when it's mutual, so it's reciprocal, and it kind of goes slow and unfolds over a period of time. Because if people over-disclose, you know, that just becomes too much information too soon. So if one person is being extremely vulnerable from the get-go, it's just, it can be a big turnoff (laughs) to a lot of other people, right? It's got to be this shared vulnerability in order to create that intimacy. So if you're somebody who tends to just really wear your heart on your sleeve all the time, it might be dialing that tendency back a little bit and allowing other people to share and to be vulnerable as well, because that's really where you start to create those connections. So I love this idea that you shared about, you know, people approaching dating and relationships like a scientist and gathering data and information. You know, as a scientist myself and a, somebody who runs a science-based podcast, I think that that's a great framework. So if we're collecting data, we can then recalibrate our approach. We're learning from it. But unfortunately, you know, some of us aren't very good data collectors because we don't know what to look for. So let's talk about Red flags, yellow flags, green flags. Can you give us some examples of things that are worth paying attention to? So what's the kind of data that you're going to look for that's going to say, yes, I, I want to keep going with this or no, I should probably get out of this situation? Absolutely. And I, I think this is something that sometimes we have to learn that maybe we were never aware of what to look for. So absolutely I think the book has a much longer list, but I'm glad that we're talking about this and we can talk about a few things. For red flags, one that always stands out to me is if you set a boundary with someone and they completely disregard your boundary or have an issue with you setting it, I think that that's a great way to know, okay, something is not right here. This could be someone who might have some narcissistic tendencies or control concerns, right? Like if you have a boundary, like let's say they wanted to ask you out on a date on a Thursday night, but you have yoga class that night and you always go with your girlfriends to yoga class Thursday. So you ask for Friday and they say, well, that's dumb. Why why would you do that? We need to go out Thursday night. Clearly that's someone who's not honoring your boundaries. That's like a big, big red flag in my book. And I, I actually think that setting boundaries is such a great way to gather data early on in a relationship. So I encourage you to set those so that you can gather that data. A yellow flag, yellow flags to me are those things where we go, are they having an off day? Or is this like really who they are as a person? A yellow flag could be they arrived to the date 10 minutes late and they're so apologetic and they had a terrible day at work. And, you know, they're like, I'm just so sorry. You want to keep gathering the data on this. Is this someone who's always going to be late? And can I 
express to them. So so yellow flags, we always want to be able to give feedback on and see if the behavior can change as well. So if I have an issue with that person being late, I can say, hey, I felt really disrespected or I felt a little disappointed when you were late to our date. Is there a way that we can work on being on time, right? Like yellow flags, you can always give feedback on. I think another yellow flag, maybe they are talking about their ex. That's always a yellow flag because you don't know, is this person dealing with unresolved things or are they simply just bringing it up and they think it's helpful? You need to gather a little bit more data on that as well. I know there's so many more, but those are the two that that come to mind for me. Yeah. So I think when we're talking about red flags, you know, the things that should make you say, uh, this probably isn't going to work out well. The boundary setting is a really good one because if somebody isn't respecting your boundaries early on, odds are that behavior is probably not going to get better over time and it's likely to become much worse. So, you know, you're looking for these signs that somebody is not being respectful of you, if they're abusive, if they're violating boundaries, uh, all of these types of things are things you want to watch out for. But the yellow flags piece, I think, is really interesting because not all the data that we get is perfectly clear. Sometimes it's ambiguous and we can decide whether we want to give somebody a generous interpretation for why they're late or maybe why they didn't respond to our text message the same day, you know, maybe why it took a while. You can catastrophize easily in all these situations and you can think the worst and make the worst attribution about the other person. But if you're doing that with ambiguous data, I think that often says more about you than it says about the other person because it's often those kind of anxious tendencies that are coming out. So you need to be careful with some of this information that comes in and say, is this really a clear sign or indicator that this person is somebody I need to watch out for? Or is this an ambiguous situation that can be interpreted in different ways? And so that's where you just need to gather more information before you make a decision. Now, you also talk about green flags. Like these are the signs that, yes, you want to continue approaching this person or continue developing a relationship with them. So what are some examples of green flags, you know, positive signs to look for? I love this question. I don't think it gets talked about enough. Green flags... One of my favorite ones is that genuine curiosity that this person is asking you questions about you and you can tell that they really want to get to know you, that they are present with you, that you feel heard. I always tell people early on in dating, if someone's asking you, how was your day at work? And you can share about how how your day was and you feel heard and you feel like, wow, they really, you know, they heard me. They got what I said. There's a green flag that maybe you could open up to them about your childhood, right? Or like your past relationships. But so many of us dive into the vulnerable parts of ourselves without collecting those green flags about, well, how do they respond when I share about my day, right? But if they're present, they're engaged, you feel heard, you feel seen, That's a great sign. Another green flag that I love is when you check in with yourself, which is really, really important to do in dating. And you check in with you and you say, wow, I feel like I'm completely myself when I'm with them. I feel like I can show up as my authentic self. That's a huge green flag, right? Of, okay, there's a relationship dynamic here that supports me feeling emotionally safe and allows me to show up as my true self. 
Yeah. So lots of things to look for here. And I think you're totally right that we tend to overfocus on the red flags and say, you know, these are the things to watch out for. But we also need to talk about what are the things that you should look for that are signs that you should approach, right? There's just so much in the relationships, self-help literature that's just about avoidance and, you know, the bad situations to get out of. But we need to know and understand, you know, what's the good? What should we be looking for at the same time? So. When it comes to dating, we're often our own worst enemy. You know, somebody might be treating us really well, and then somehow we start to look for reasons to undermine that, right? And, you know, that securely attached love that so many of us are craving, sometimes we tell ourselves a story about how it's just like too good to be true. It can't be real. We don't deserve it. And so we sabotage our own chance at happiness. So how can you avoid falling into this trap, you know, and not passing up on those opportunities for secure love? I always love to remind the people I help that we have to rewire our brains to say secure is sexy because so many of us have become addicted to the chaos of the intermittent reinforcement that is within an anxious avoidant dynamic, and we get addicted to the highs and the lows. So if we're not careful, we correlate that anxious avoidant dynamic with true love. And then when we're actually experiencing a securely attached, stable, healthy dynamic, we think, oh my gosh, I'm just not really in love with this person or this is boring, right? And we can really easily sabotage. So it's really important to be rewiring your beliefs about love and knowing that love is stable, love is consistent, love is honest, love is kind, right? Like really rewiring your beliefs. And then... You have to be able to catch yourself in the moment. If you notice that you're wanting to sabotage or you're wanting to pull away, you have to be able to catch yourself and tune in and ask yourself, what's coming up for me? Because our old ways of being can still come up at times and we have to be able to tune in, give it compassion, and then realign with our securely attached selves one thing that's helpful to note is that while an anxious avoidant dynamic is going to have a ton of passion and it's like this up and down and it's the roller coaster and holy cow, but do you want to ride a roller coaster for life, right? The answer is no. Like it can be so exciting and all these things, but you think about secure attachment and this is that I like to think of it as the peaceful gondola ride, you know, like, so you want to think of it as that peaceful ride that just gets better and better. And secure attachment has depth over time. So reminding yourself that you can have a connection that gets deeper over time and that gets better over time instead of this up and down, you know, big fireworks, crazy, crazy passion. All of us want that person that we build with for the rest of our lives and have true partnership with instead of that short-term passion that ends up in the the dumpster fire breakup as I've talked about right so so it's trading that short term roller coaster for the kind of relationship that you could have for the rest of your life and reminding yourself that that it gets better over time 
Yeah, I think that piece of looking back on what is your own history with relationships and how did love feel is really useful because some of us have only experienced love in a certain way. And it might be that very intense passion way. But if you're talking about, you know, what does it feel like to experience a secure love? That's a totally different thing. And if you're expecting the the same sorts of fireworks and <laughs> excitement and all of that, it's probably not going to be that experience. It's not to say that you can't have passionate and exciting sex and things in a securely attached relationship. It's just the nature of the experience is going to be somewhat different. So I think we need to think about our own experiences and then open ourselves up to the possibility that love can feel like a lot of different things. Relationships can be experienced in a lot of different ways. And if you're coming in with this expectation that it's going to match these prior experiences and you're always doing that comparison level, I think that's where we might end up missing out on certain opportunities. We might not even categorize something as love because it just doesn't feel like what our previous love experiences felt like. So important to point out. And one thing I would say too is we all have a need for excitement and variety. And some of us are wanting to get that need met by our romantic partner. But what if you actually got that need for excitement met through travel or taking a trip with your girlfriends or maybe you're watching a TV show? Just being aware that you can get those needs met in healthier ways. You don't need to get the need met for drama or excitement or the up and down in your romantic relationship. So I think it's always very helpful for me if I'm like, oh, I'm feeling kind of bored or complacent. Instead of being like, how can I change my partner? It's this question of what do I need to do in my life that would bring me more excitement or joy? And then I can find a really healthy way to get that need met instead of creating drama in my relationship. Or you can also just be consensually non-monogamous and have different partners with different attachment styles so you can experience (laughs) all the things all at once. Yes, for sure. If you have capacity for that. Yes, not everyone has the capacity for that. And, you know, that's a key point. We've talked a lot about consensual non-monogamy on this show. And, you know, there are some people who think that non-monogamy is this more evolved way of thinking or being. And, you know, I think that's a BS way to think of it. But, you know, when it comes to having multiple relationships at once, that's not for everyone because just one relationship is a lot of work, requires a lot of capacity. So imagine trying to have multiple relationships at once. You really need to be open to that. And like I said, it just doesn't work for everyone. But something that you talk about in your book that I think is really interesting is this idea that We need to drop our expectations when it comes to dating, but we need to stick to our standards. So can you walk us through that a little bit? How do you hold clear standards with no expectations? Yes, this was such a key shift for me because I used to do it the exact opposite way. So having no expectations means that you will show up to a date and you have no expectations about how it's going to go what you're going to feel, what the person's going to be like. So you're not expecting that this is your life partner and you found the one. You're just saying, all I know is I'm going to show up. I'm going to be in the presence of this person. And I'm going to be curious about how I feel and if there's a connection here, right? That's it. 
And then what we want to do is have a lot of curiosity. So I also talk about with not having expectations, we just want to have a ton of curiosity about how we feel and is this the kind of relationship we want. So instead of putting that pressure and you're like, ooh, you know, I saw on their profile that they also love to golf and I love to golf. And that means that we're going to ride off into the sunset together. And this is my person, right? Like instead of showing up with that energy, you have zero expectations and you're just so curious about what is this connection going to be like? Because in our digital world, people are using dating apps as relationship building tools when they're actually just opportunity creation tools. So we're already we're showing up to dates with so many expectations about how it's going to go and who this person is. And we'll just serve ourselves so much better if we have zero expectations. Moving on to the standards, you want to have clarity on your standards. And this means that you know what are the core things that are important to you in partnership. So it can be open, honest communication. It can be that you really value someone who has a strong spiritual life. It can be that I have a core standard that my partner wants to build a family. So you have this awareness of what your standards are, but you're not going into the date expecting the person to meet your standards. You're simply a love scientist and you're gathering the data and you're seeing if over time, if they do match up with your standards. Yeah, I think that's a helpful way to think about this. Now, when we're talking about expectations and standards and all of this, forging a relationship is not something that you can force to happen. You know, it is going to take some time and sometimes it takes a lot of time. And I think that's one of the things that's hard for a lot of people to accept. You know, we might date a whole bunch of people over a long period of time and say, gosh, that was a huge waste of my time or Oh, there was another failure right there. However, you say that that isn't the right mindset and that we need to rethink the meaning that we give to the dates and relationships we have that don't work out. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Yes. This is one of my favorite things to talk about, that there is no failure in dating, that we have to be open to connection And that anytime we experience a relationship ending or someone rejects us in our mind, that we just see that as redirection to the relationship that's meant for us. And if you think about it, every connection that we have with another human is an opportunity to learn and to grow. And sometimes what we learn is what we don't want in a relationship. And we can still be grateful for that. And we can know that It is so much better to have empty relationship space in your life than to actually be with someone that's not the right person for you. So to have that attitude of gratitude if a relationship doesn't work out and say, okay, I'm so glad that I have this space in my life that's open for that right person to come in and that I can just be so grateful for how I learned and how I grew in my past relationships. I love all of that. And it's such a radical way of thinking about our past relationships. It's radically different for most people in terms of how they tend to look at it. But having that mindset change, I think, can be really helpful and really powerful. Now, we're running short on time, but I have one more question for you. Given your years of work as a clinical psychologist and helping people and cultivating more secure attachments, do you have any 
other top tips for healthy sex in relationships that we haven't yet covered today? I mean, I know you could probably talk about this for for hours or days, but any other tips that you think are especially important for people to know? I think it's important to think about sex from an attachment lens. And I would say that some of you have been in the type of connection where you feel like you're almost addicted to the sex and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to break up with this person, but the sex is so good. And what I would have you examine is, is sex the only place that you're getting that emotional reassurance about the connection? And if sex is really the only time that we truly feel connected to our partner and we have that reassurance and we're feeling loved and seen and it's that, you know, highest level of human connection and that that's the only time is in the physical connection that you are set up for a very rocky, anxious avoidant dynamic. So I would have you think about how can I create secure attachment in my relationship outside of the bedroom? And it's that really hard question of if I'm not getting that reassurance met outside of the bedroom or outside of sex, how can I start to ask for it? Because I think if we don't find ways to create connection that don't involve sex, we end up putting so much emphasis on sex and it can even become kind of unhealthy or it can get to this place where we feel like we absolutely need it in order to feel loved. And I think that that's really disempowering. So I would encourage you to think about how can I build secure attachment in my relationships and use sex as a way to deepen secure attachment instead of saying, how can I use sex to build secure attachment, right? And then I would really want you to think about how do I build secure attachment first so that I feel emotionally safe and then using sex as a way to deepen that. And this goes for like a long-term partnership. Of course, there's times where maybe you are just using sex as a way to connect and that's where you're currently at and that's up to you. But when you're building a long-term connection, I would invite you to think about building secure attachment first and using sex as a beautiful way to deepen that connection. Yeah. And it's such an important point, especially when you think about how sex and the human body and these things change over the course of time in a long-term relationship and with age. And so sex, as you think about it today, might not always be an option or a way that you're going to be able to connect later on. And sometimes partners just aren't going to be in the same mood for sex. But that doesn't mean they can't be intimate in other ways. So, I mean, I think having this idea that sex can be one way that you kind of cultivate that security is is helpful, but it doesn't have to be and shouldn't be the only way that you get those feelings and those needs met. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Dr. Morgan. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of your new book? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this. The best way to connect with me is on Instagram at Dr. Morgan Coaching, Dr. Morgan Coaching. I also have a podcast called Let's Get Vulnerable, where I talk a lot about attachment theory. So if you're interested in that, and then Love Magnet, Get Off the Dating Roller Coaster, Attract the Love You Deserve, the book is available on Amazon. So thank you so much for having me. This has been really great. 
Well, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Thank you.